All right. Uh, no bumper video today because I was too busy to make one. But uh, let's hear it for our, our youth worship band, huh? Man. A great job. And that's, that's what our students are getting to hear on Wednesday nights there in our student building. And really grateful for all the people in our youth worship band that uh, put in all that work and effort to, to lead us. All right, so let's talk some more in the book of Hebrews, as we have been, and let's talk some more specifically about the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. Last Sunday, we just did a couple of simple verses, um, a little more focused again on uh, Abraham, but now we're going to kind of start moving beyond Abraham, and we're going to get into his son and his grandson and his great-grandson today. And we're just going to study three simple verses again this morning, and we're going to talk about how... Uh, Abraham's descendants in, in Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, how when you look at all three of their lives, one of the things that characterizes them is how they were just trusting in God's plan. Uh, these guys went through a lot of difficulties. These guys didn't know really what was coming. Uh, these guys went through uh, a lot of things in life, but what we see is they were trusting in God's plan and they were kind of really looking forward, just like Abraham, understanding that God was going to one day fulfill his promises uh, in a time even after they were gone, and it would be down the road. And so they were looking to something eternal, not to something temporal. So let's just talk about trusting in his plan uh, today. Now, it made me think of a story I learned a long time ago as a young pastor about uh, this radio program in 1943, okay? So before television, and the radio program was called Songs in the Night. It's from a little phrase from an old popular hymn. As a matter of fact, we sang it at 8.30 this morning. Songs in the Night was a radio program that had a speaker, it had a preacher who gave a message, and then it had someone who would lead the music, sing a song, and then it, would, it actually even had a choir in the studio, and the music director would lead the choir. So it was kind of this hour-long program or so. And so they lost the preacher and lost the music director, and uh, the board for the, the radio program was looking for somebody new. Problem was, they couldn't really pay anybody because the money they did have was spent keeping the, the radio show on the air. So they, long story short, but they came across the path of a young, young preacher. And this young preacher said, I'll do that, and you, you don't even have to pay me really hardly at all. Just, just take the money you'd have paid me. And um, I'll just do this by faith, and you put it towards keeping the show in the air. And they said, okay, can, can you find somebody to do the music? And he said, all right, let me try to find that. So he goes to a guy that in, in the area was a pretty well-known gospel singer. And he went and asked this man, hey, would you come sing and lead the choir on, on this, this radio program? And the man was like, I don't want to do that. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of tiddlywinks for who I am and where I'm at. But the preacher kind of talked him into it, and he said, okay, I guess I'll... I guess I'll do it. So young preacher, not quite as young, but still pretty young music director. And uh, these two men just kind of launched off in faith, trust in God's plan. This is what uh, he wanted them to do. And uh, you can kind of tell them going somewhere with this. Here's the two men. Now, many of you might recognize the guy on the right. That is a very young Billy Graham. And the guy on the left is George Beverly Shea. George Beverly Shea did all the music in the Billy Graham Crusades forever. 
And uh, if you're younger than me, you might not even know who these two guys are. <laughs> but uh, I love that story because even George Beverly Shea said, yeah, that was a very humble beginning. We had no idea what God was going to do at the beginning of that radio program in their lives. It's a great story. It's trust in God's plan, even when you don't know everything that's coming. So let's read these three verses that I told you we we're going to study this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 20 to 22 this morning as we keep working our way through this chapter here. And uh, we're going to move on from Abraham. The writer of Hebrews has spent considerable time with Abraham, and now it's time to move on. And so here comes Abraham's son, grandson, great-grandson. So verse 20, by faith, Isaac, Abraham's son, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And verse 22, by faith, Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, the thing that should strike us as we read these three verses of Scripture is what the writer of Hebrews uh, omits. Because if you think about it, all three of these men have some incredible narratives, incredible stories, incredible things that have happened to their lives when we read about them in the book of Genesis. But you will notice that when he mentions Isaac and he mentions Jacob and he mentions Joseph, notice that what he mentions is the end of their life. He, he, he doesn't tell the great story about Joseph betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, put in prison in Egypt, and then becomes the prime minister of Egypt. No, all he says about Joseph is when he gets to the end of his life, he tells his people, you're going to be put in bondage here in this country, but when you finally get liberated, take my bones with you. I don't want to be buried here. That's it. Now, that actually should not surprise us because this is one of these little interesting things about when you really study the Bible in context. So you don't just kind of cherry pick or you don't just kind of isolate a verse. But you'll notice in the next passage that we'll be in next Sunday is going to be all about Moses. Now, there's plenty about Moses' life in there, but there's a focus on the end. Moses did not consider the riches of Egypt as greater than the reproaches of Christ. And then after that, if you keep looking, you get towards the end of the chapter, he's going to start talking about all the people who will walk in faith after Moses. All these people in faith, and what it talks about their, the end of their life. These people were willing to be flogged and beaten and persecuted and imprisoned and put to the sword all because of their faith. And it's all about the end of their life. Now you look at that and go, why is he so focused on the end of their life? Well, the answer is verse 13. Look what he says in verse 13. Verse 13 governs, it's like an umbrella over the whole rest of the chapter. Look what he says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Isn't it interesting that he's going to talk about how all these heroes of the faith are like this? They knew they weren't going to see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises in their lifetime. Strangers and exiles. That's why when he talks about Jacob, he could talk about all these stories in Jacob's life. But what does he say? At the end of his life, Jacob leaned on his staff, a symbol of a pilgrim, a sojourner, an alien in a country. 
So the point is, all of these people lived their entire life in faith. They trusted God all the way to the end. And that's what he's wanting the Hebrews to do. Don't give up. Don't go backwards now. Don't, don't turn around. Keep going all the way to the end of your life in faith in Jesus. So let's look at these three men, okay, and what we learn from them. And we do learn a lot about trusting in God's plan. So let's just, for the next few minutes, let's kind of act like we're going back to fifth grade Sunday school. <laughs> All right? Let's just kind of refresh ourselves on these Bible stories. I almost looked to see if I could get a flannel graph board up here. 830 knew what that was. Y'all have no clue. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> so we'll start with Isaac. Actually, it's very interesting. When it comes to Isaac, uh, the book of Genesis actually doesn't say very much about Isaac until you get to the end of his life. And here's the story. Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca, once they're married, they have a very hard time having children. They pray to God, God, would you bless us with children? God answers that prayer when Rebecca becomes pregnant with twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Now, while she is pregnant with the twin boys, God comes to, I'm just paraphrasing the book of Genesis for you. God comes to Rebecca and says, the promise, God's promises, how all this is going to keep going, is actually going to be through the younger of your two children, not the older. Which that completely goes against conventional wisdom in this day and culture. It always passed to the oldest son. And so Jacob and Esau are born. Esau is the older and he's very hairy, as his name implies. And then Jacob is holding on to the heel, to the foot of Esau when they are delivered. And so the name Jacob means grasper, taker. And so what's the story then? So the story then is it comes to the end of Isaac's life. He's very old, he's blind, he has a hard time seeing. Now, as the story goes, Rebecca, knowing what she knows about the two, and probably just for some personal preference, I guess, she favors Jacob over Esau. But Isaac favors Esau over Jacob because Esau is the rough and ready kind of man's man who's hairy and furry and he likes to go hunt animals and he brings them home and he cooks up Isaac's favorite wild game meal. So Isaac wants to give the blessing to Esau, even though this is not what God has said. So Rebecca goes to Isaac and says, hey, let's go and take this into our own hands a little bit. So you may know the story. Uh, Jacob puts on fur from animals and makes himself look and feel hairy. He gets the wild game that his dad loves. He cooks it up. So there's the smell of the favorite dish in the house. And then he comes and he sits next to his just about blind father and says, father, give me your blessing. And remember the story, Isaac's like, hmm, and he reaches out and touches him and he says, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. But he gives the blessing to Jacob, the younger. Well, Esau comes home from hunting the game. He's going to cook it up and give it to dad. And as you can imagine, Esau's fit to be tied. And he goes to his dad, Isaac, and says, dad, undo what you've done. You gave the blessing to the wrong brother. And what does Isaac say? What I've done is what I've done. And he recognizes that even in his mistake, even in Jacob's treachery, the working of God's plan was being carried out. So we think about that with Isaac, and we come to Jacob. And you can make the inferences of the whole, here's God's plan working through despite what these people are doing. So then you come to Jacob. Now, Jacob, 
as I told you, his name means to grasp. Uh, Jacob has stolen the birthright from his brother Esau by tricking his dad. And then after he gets married, Genesis tells us that he tricks his father-in-law. And he tricks his father-in-law Laban into giving him all these herds and livestock to make him become very rich. And you read these chapters in Genesis about Jacob and you, you stop and go, wow, Jacob was a jerk. And he was. Until he comes to the river Jabbok one day. And this is when God's going to get him. And at the river Jabbok, an angel comes to Jacob and they wrestle for a long time until the beauty, the power of this biblical story. You remember how that wrestling match ends? The angel comes out and grabs, the Bible says his thigh or his hip, and the angel grabs him. And the crazy part of it is, Jacob, the one who grasped everything, who took everything in his life, is finally grabbed and taken by God. And at this moment, he apparently comes to faith because his name changes from Jacob to Israel. And after the Jabbok River, Jacob in the biblical account is a pretty model example of one who follows and obeys God. You look in our text right here, and it's interesting. So, bowing in worship, there's a little reference to blessing the sons of Joseph, which I'll talk about in a second. But he bows in worship over the head of his staff. So he gets to the end of his life. After all this turmoil, after tricking all these people and doing all, this, all these stories, he takes his staff, a picture of him being a pilgrim, and he rests his head on it and he worships the Lord. It's a picture of a lifelong journey of faith. And I want to pause right here and say this to you. Sometimes I think we hear names like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Noah and Moses and David, and we think, wow. These were the patriarchs. These people were so amazing. They were so close to God. That's why God loved them. And that's why God would redeem them and God would use them. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, you know, I don't know how God could love me. I don't know how God could forgive me. I don't know how he could redeem me. I don't know how he could use me for his kingdom because, I mean, man, I've done some pretty terrible things. Listen, if God can save and redeem and and use a man like Jacob... You think he can do that in your life? Sure he can. So you get to the final character, and this is Joseph. And of all the things that we could, we, he could say about Joseph, what does he say? He says he tells, this is the end of his life, right? He tells the Israelites about the exodus. So here's Joseph, and Joseph knows his people are going to be enslaved in this country. Because he tells him, hey, years from now, long time from now, you're going you're gonna to leave as an exodus from your bondage. And, and by the way, when you go, don't forget my bones. And he says bones, not his body, because he knows it's going to be a long time. The only thing that's left is going to be his bones. Why in the world does Joseph not want to be buried in Egypt? Because Egypt, is he's the prime minister of Egypt. He's got all the money in the world. He's got palaces. He's got wealth. He's got all this stuff. Don't you think he'd want to be buried there? No, he says, big sure, promise me that when I die and our people leave this for the promised land that was promised to my great-granddaddy Abraham, take me with you and bury me there. And why is that? Because he understands what his great-granddaddy understood. Remember what I teach you last Sunday? 
Abraham is promised all this land from God, but in reality, he doesn't own any of it. And he doesn't own any of it until the end of his life when he buys a cave from a Canaanite to bury his wife in it. And you read that and go, why would he want to do that? Because Abraham understood at some point that all the fulfillment of these promises that God had given him, he would never see the fruition of it in this life. It was going to come to him after he was dead. So he said, bury me and my wife in this land because we'll get the promise after we're gone. I, want, I may not have it in this land now, but I'll have it in death, so put me here. Same thing with Joseph. So you look at these three guys on the screen. What do we see then? All three of these guys had interruptions. All three of these guys didn't know exactly what was coming. All three of these guys went through some very difficult times and trials and tribulations. But all three of these men are, 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 are looking at what is eternal, right? Not what I can see and touch and taste and spend right now. Now, God, and you follow him in faith, and God's plan for your life, he may well indeed bless you. You may have a lot of great things, but you got to remember, regardless of how blessed you are financially or of health or not, you got to remember following Jesus at the end of the day is about nothing temporal or material. It is about things that are eternal. And so these people, these men are looking at the spiritual blessing. They understand, wow, God gave my dad, my granddad, my great-granddad this amazing promise, which he never saw the fruition of in his life. And now they're like, I'm not going to see it in my life. And grandson, I'm not going to see it in my life. And great-grandson, I'm not going to see it in my life. So they're looking at what is spiritual. They're, they're, and so what they're doing is, in trusting in God's plan, it's forward-looking. Hey, God, I may not understand everything about the plan. I may not even be happy about the plan. But I'm going to trust you because in the end, you're going to bring it to be. And uh, by the way, when I'm reading these promises, how do I understand this? As a New Testament Christian, how do I take this? Here's your answer right here on the screen. Paul tells the Corinthians right at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, look what he says. He says, for all the promises of God find their Yes, their fulfillment in Christ. So even the promise that God gave to Abraham is going to be fulfilled ultimately one day in Jesus. The promises that I read about in the Bible, they're all going to be fulfilled for me. Yeah, I may get some great blessings right now, but in the end, they're all going to be fulfilled in Christ. That's why it is so important for all of us to commit our lives to following Christ in faith. This is his plan for us. So what are some of the takeaways that we can get from this? So let, let me just give you a little bit of application here. There's a, a scholar named Peter Lewis who was writing on these verses of Scripture, and uh, I, I wanted to share, he, get, he get shared three things. I thought they were so good, I just want to repeat them for you. So the first thing he says, you look at these three men, and here's what you understand. You understand that God's plan cannot be manipulated. And I think you especially see this with Isaac. Uh, God has said the blessing is going to go through the younger. Oh, and by the way, can I, just say, can I just teach you this real quick? We read these stories and we go, why is blessing the son? Why is blessing the child? And why is that so important? Because all these guys understand the fulfillment of the promise is down the road. 
So you put the blessing on the son, you put the blessing on the next one, you put the blessing on the next one because you're moving this down the road, waiting for God to fulfill his promise. So it can't be manipulated. And here's, here's Isaac, uh, uh, he's told Rebecca the blessing will go to Jacob, but he really wants Esau to have it. He really wants the older to have it. That's conventional wisdom, and he really wants to do that. And then he gets tricked, but he realizes and understands, wow, in getting tricked here, God is actually working his plan. And so one of the things you learn is, don't try to change God's plan. Don't try to alter his plan. And this is what we like to do, don't we? Say, hey, God, I want to know your plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. But strangely, so many times, we want God's plan to be what we want, right? I mean, let's just think of it and be honest in a functional sense. Hey, God, I want to know your plan for my life. Hey, God, I want to obey and follow your plan for my life. But hey, you know what? You need to consult me first. God doesn't work that way. Look at this verse of scripture on the screen. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You know, raise your hand if you know the future. You don't. We don't know the future. And I don't fully know the mind of God. What I have here is what God has given me in his Bible, what he has chosen to give me as the revelation of himself. This is what I have. This is all God says I need to know. And so what's left for me is not to try to manipulate. If I don't know the future and I don't really know God, so I think I'm going to jump in and I'm going to try to fix things up, Uh uh-uh. What's left for me to do is to trust his plan. And here's the second thing that Peter Lewis says. He says, you can't take God's plan for granted. And you go, what in the world does that mean? Okay, let's come back to the little part about Jacob and Joseph. Look at verse 21. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph... So Jacob, at the end of his life, does two things. He puts all of his blessing on his sons, and he, he's resting his head on the, on, the, on the staff. But then especially this blessing the, his grandsons, the sons of Joseph. Now, this is not as common a story in the Bible, so let me tell it to you real quick. You get to the end of Jacob's life, he's like Isaac. He's blind. He can't see very well. And so Joseph has two sons. The oldest is Manasseh. The youngest is Ephraim. And so he brings his two sons to his father, Jacob, and he says, now, dad, I want you to put your blessing on my sons. Remember, passing it down, very important. So I'll stand like this to make it a little more clear. And Joseph, knowing his dad can't see, lines it all up according to conventional wisdom. And he takes the oldest son, Manasseh, and he puts Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. That's how you gave the blessing, the right hand, a cultural thing here. He put the younger son, Manasseh, on the left hand. And he said, all right now, Dad, I got my boys in front of you. I want you to put your blessing on them. And he lined it all up the way he wanted it to be, the way it should be. And what does the Bible say that Jacob does? Jacob says, okay, I'll do my blessing. Watch me. He goes. And he crosses his arms. And he puts his right hand on the younger boy's head and his left hand on the older boy's head. And Joseph says, oh, no, 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 daddy, you got it wrong. Don't cross your arms. I set them up the way I want it to be. And Jacob pretty much says, what I've done, I've done. I know how this goes. <laughs> we need to trust God's plan on this. Now, when he says, don't take it for granted, 
I think so many times when it comes to God's plan for my life, what do we do? We kind of line it up the way we want it to go. All right, God, here's, here's going to be your plan for my life. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get married and have a happy marriage. I'm going to have kids, and all my kids are going to love you and be great kids. And I'm going to have a fulfilling job, and I'm going to have money, and I'm going to die an easy, painless death, and it's all going to be great. But let me ask you a question. How many times has God worked his plan in your life the way you wanted it exactly? And how many times in your life has God's working of his plan been filled with surprises and things that you weren't expecting and things that weren't very easy? Yes? Don't take it for granted. Oh, I got it all lined out. I mean, just, just like the physical action of him lining up his sons the way he wanted it to go, God says, I got a different idea. And that's what we have to trust and submit to. Sometimes we get a little frustrated with God on this. We don't know the future. We don't know his mind fully. And sometimes we look at our circumstances and we say, God, you know what? I really wonder if you're even working your plan at all. Um, we used to have a hummingbird feeder on our back porch. Aren't hummingbirds just amazing little God's creatures? You'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, the hummingbird was like materialized out of nowhere. It's like, there it is. And you watch that hummingbird from a distance of at least a few feet. Hummingbirds always amaze me because they look like they're just levitating in air, like standing still right there by the feeder. And then you get a little closer, and you look, and you can see their wings are flapping so fast that you can't even see them. And you back off. It's like, well, it looks like it's levitating. And that picture right there, I think, is what we're talking about today. Sometimes I look at God's plan. Doesn't look like there's any movement. There's no action. It looks like it's stuck. But in reality, God is working. And he is working his plan. And so here's the last thing. The last thing is that we learn from these three men that God's plan is not going to fail. And human history and biblical history... God is moving from point A to point B, from the beginning of the creation of the universe to its consummation one day at the return of Jesus, and nothing can thwart it. Do you think there's anything you can do that would thwart God's plan? Of course not. So why try to alter? Why try to change? What we need to do is trust and believe it. Now, here's Isaiah 46 on the screen. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Friends, we learn from these three men that you cannot judge the intentions or the purposes of God's plan based on your circumstances. You may find yourself in the middle of a prison. You may find yourself in the middle of a plague. You may find yourself betrayed. You may find yourself alone. You may find your, you name it. But my job is to trust God, his word, and his plan. Now, I'm going to pray for us, but while I'm praying, don't get up and leave, okay? Because I want to share something with you uh, after I pray. Father, 
I want to thank you so much for this passage today. Thank you for teaching us, reminding us about your plan uh, for human history and for our lives. Yes, God, we, we don't know the future. We don't fully know your mind. Yes, God, the way you work your plan in our lives may be difficult. It may be hard, but in the end, it's always for our good and for your glory. And so rather than trying to uh, take it for granted, rather than trying to change it, rather than trying to line it up the way we want, Father, help us to trust and accept your plan and to be faithful through all of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.